Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, could you have imagined being one of the closest disciples of Jesus on the Saturday after he was crucified? I mean, they had to be sitting there thinking, what in the world just happened? Just a week ago, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and there was this massive crowd of people who gathered with palm branches. They laid them down on the ground. Jesus rode on the back of a donkey. They all shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It was an amazing moment. Then just a few days ago, they gathered there in the upper room. They shared the Passover meal together. I mean, it was different, but it was a really intimate moment with Jesus. And then they left there and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was just really intense. His prayers were intense. He was bleeding out sweat. It was a a moment that they had never experienced before. And then the soldiers came. And Judas, how, how could Judas do that to Jesus after all the time they had spent together, all the things Jesus had done for Judas? And he betrayed him. How could they have arrested Jesus? He didn't do anything wrong. And then they led him away. They were willing to die for Jesus in that moment, but he told them not to, to calm down, to put their swords away. And they all ran because they were afraid. And then they had to have been thinking, how could they, how could they put him through these false trials? How could they condemn him to death when he'd done nothing wrong? How could the crowd shout for Barabbas to be released, a lifetime criminal and a murderer instead of Jesus, a man who had never done anything wrong? Why didn't Pilate just let him go? It seemed like he really wanted to. Why did they condemn him to death? How could he have died? How could he have died of all ways on a cross? And then they had to have been thinking, what do we do now? And we had so much hope. He talked about a kingdom. We knew what the future was going to hold, but now we have no idea what, what to do. Are they going to come after us? Are we going to have to live on the run? We left our jobs. How are we going to provide for our families? On that Saturday, it seemed like all hope had been lost. It seemed like evil had won. It seemed like darkness had prevailed, literally and metaphorically. They had no idea what to do. What do you do when all hope is lost? Sometimes we run, sometimes we hide. Sometimes we blame, sometimes we fight, sometimes we quit. It's amazing how much can change in just a day. Just 24 hours, it's amazing how much can change. Because that's what the resurrection of Jesus does. You see, the next day was Sunday, and it wasn't just any Sunday. It was Resurrection Sunday. It was the day that the angels rolled the, the stone away from the tomb. It was the day that light broke into the tomb, and the Holy Spirit invaded the body of Jesus, breathed life back into his body. It was the day that Jesus' eyes opened as he took a breath again, and his feet hit the floor, and he stood up. And in that moment, death was defeated, sin was forgiven, love became victorious as Jesus walked out of the tomb. And it all changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all changed as well as our hope changed, because what the resurrection of Jesus brought to us was life and hope. 
the two things we most desperately need. At least that's what Peter believes. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He followed Jesus for over three years. He's known as an apostle of Jesus. He was also one of the ones who denied knowing Jesus on three separate occasions on the night that Jesus was arrested right before leading up to his crucifixion. Peter at one point was willing to die for Jesus. He was willing to fight so that Jesus could be freed. But then he became scared and he ran away. And he's hiding. And he doesn't know what to do. Until these women came in on that Sunday morning and they ran back and found Peter and some of the others and they said, the body is missing, the stone is rolled away, Jesus is alive. And so he, he took off and he, and he ran back to the tomb. He's one of the first ones to get there. And he doesn't know exactly what to think until just a short time later, Jesus appears to him. And from that moment on, his entire life changed. You couldn't get him to stop talking about Jesus. You could beat him. You could flog him. You could kill him. It's about the only way you were going to get him to stop talking about this resurrected Savior. And he writes this letter about 20 years or so after these amazing events. And he writes this letter to a group of Christians who are suffering. They're going through some really difficult times. They've been kicked out of their homes. They've, been, they've lost their jobs. They've even seen some of their fellow believers die for their faith. And they don't know what to do. They don't understand why they're suffering. They don't know what the future is going to hold. Some of them are questioning their faith. Are we being punished for what we've done? Have we done something wrong? And Peter writes them this letter, and he reminds them of the hope that they have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 1 as we read some of these beautiful words that Peter penned long ago when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. A couple of things that I want us to think about this morning of how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything for us and how we experience a living hope. The first one is this, the cross actually became a throne. So as you read through the Gospels, and we've been going through the Gospel of John in, on our Sunday morning sermon series for the last little while, and we'll pick it back up here in just a couple of weeks, but as you read through John, as you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what you find is that they, they paint this picture of Jesus being crucified, and it's horrific. It's horrific to read about. It's horrific to think about, but what if you really pay attention, what you'll notice is some of the things that they describe about Jesus' crucifixion is actually describing an enthronement. I mean, think about it. They give Jesus a purple robe. They give Jesus a crown that was made of thorns. They give Jesus a staff. They exalt Jesus above the earth for all people to see. They even gave him a royal cupbearer, this Roman soldier who offers him sour wine to drink. And when we think about the cross, we are horrified at the events, and we think that's the place where Jesus was stripped of all of his dignity as a human being. But what the gospel writers want us to understand is in that moment, on that day, Jesus is actually being exalted as king over all the earth. All of those elements are a part of a kingly procession. And, and it makes sense in a way that it doesn't make sense that Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. So we shouldn't expect him to be exalted as king like all the other kingdoms. I mean, think about what you think about when you think of the idea of a kingdom. You think about a king, 
Maybe you think about this inauguration ceremony, you think about a parade, and you think about this great procession, you think about a crown, maybe you think about this sea of followers and a sea of soldiers and all these weapons that are on display. But it wasn't like that for Jesus, because his kingdom was not of this world. It's what prompted Paul to write in Philippians 2, talking about Jesus who was in the form of a human form. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, because of his death on the cross, God has highly exalted him. That's king language. He's bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't miss this. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, it was actually his exaltation as king. His cross became a throne. And what that does for you and I is it challenges the way that we view authority. Because when we view authority, when we view power, we think of the strong. We think of who has the most weapons, who has the most followers. We think about who could win the battle the most. But when you think about Jesus and the way that he gave his life for us, when you think about how the cross became a throne, it challenges the way that we, that we view power and authority. And so for those who are followers of Jesus, the way that you wield power and authority is not through strength and might, it's through a towel. It's through getting down on your hands and feet and serving, meeting the needs of other people. It's through seeking to serve others instead of being served. It's through loving everybody always rather than trying to manipulate and control. It completely changes the way that, we've, the way that we view influence and power and honor and glory. This is the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus how it changed even how we look at a cross because we serve a God who became king by being exalted on a cross. And that same king calls each of us to carry our own. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything because death leads to life. It's really fascinating to think how death could lead to life Nobody on that Saturday after the resurrection, after the crucifixion of Jesus, believed that death would lead to life. They couldn't even comprehend the events that had just happened. But if you think about it, it actually happens all the time, how death can lead to life. If you're a farmer, you, you understand this concept. You dig a hole, you plant a seed in the ground, and you're burying that seed under the ground. You're actually dooming it to death. But what happens is life sprouts from that seed. And that's exactly what happened because Jesus went to the tomb. When he went to the tomb and walked out of the tomb, life sprouted from Jesus. And not just his life, but life for you and I. It's what would prompt the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 to talk about how if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you read about this man named Adam, Adam is one who is charged with bringing sin into the world. In Adam, sin entered the world and as a result, death came. But from this one man named Jesus who gave up his life, life actually enters into the world for you and I. And then when you get to Romans chapter 6, the very next chapter, you read about how Paul reminds us and challenges each of us to experience our own spiritual death. He describes it in this, this beautiful event and moment that's called baptism, where you reenact the death, burial, and 
resurrection of Jesus. In baptism, you're lowered under the water, you're buried under the water, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit invades your soul just as it did the lifeless body of Jesus, and it revives you to walk in newness of life. And so when you're raised out of that water, the Bible describes you as a new creation. You're this new individual. And anytime you experience new life, it's breathtaking, isn't it? Because in that new life, there's all kinds of new possibilities. There's so much potential. It's the same with a person who's been raised to walk in newness of life. From that beautiful scene, just as Jesus walked out of the tomb, we can be raised to new life with all kinds of new possibilities, new desires, new goals. We begin this process that the Bible calls sanctification. It's a big Bible word that means God's trying to make you look more like Jesus. We're going to talk about that next week of what it looks like to live as a person that has been raised, what it looks like to live out resurrection every day of our life. And so I hope that you'll join us for that next Sunday. But I want us to think about this morning. You know, sometimes we get this idea that when we've been raised, when we've given our life to Jesus, that life will just get really easy. God will give you whatever you want. You'll never struggle anymore. You'll be blessed beyond all measure. And that's not completely true. In fact, if in our reading this morning, we read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. If you were to read verse 6, it changes the tone a little bit, where Peter begins to write about suffering. And it's a concept that we don't really like to think about. We certainly don't like to talk about. What Peter begins to do is he begins to reframe suffering based in our hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what some of you know that some of us will experience at some point. If you live long enough, your hope is going to be challenged. If you live long enough, you're going to stand over the grave of a loved one. If you live long enough, you're going to lose a friend, a family member. If you live long enough, your health is going to fail. If you live long enough, you're going to lose your job. We call it retirement, right? It's just a nice way of saying we don't need you anymore. Sorry for those that are retired. If you live long enough, your hope will be challenged. Because if you have placed your hope in any of those places, what will you do when you've lost it? When you have lost your ability to provide for yourself, when you have lost your health and ability to take care of yourself, when you have lost the person that was your soul, that was your heartbeat, what will happen when your hope is challenged? What it will do is it will reveal the source of your hope. What Peter is writing to this this audience in 1 Peter 1 is he's writing to them to let them know regardless of what happens to you in life, the source of your hope can never be taken from you because it is a living hope. It's not based in your ability. It's not based in your bank account. It's not based in your family and your spouse and your kids. It's not based in your best friend. It's not based in your best friend dog. It's not based in any of that. Your hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus. And I find it fascinating. He doesn't even say it's, it's based in our hope of a resurrection one day. He ties our hope to the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus walked out of the tomb. What he's going to write to these believers through the rest of his letter is to remind them that whatever you face, you can endure it because you have a living hope. And so you can develop what the Bible describes as a come what may kind of hope. It's the kind of hope that says, regardless of what happens to me in life, There's always something better for me. You cannot rob me of my hope. Come what may, I will still trust in Christ. And it's a reminder for us to get our hopes up. We've got to get our hopes up. Heavenward. 
We've got to get our hopes heavenward. Where have you placed your hope? If you've ever been challenged in life where you felt like you've lost purpose, you've lost your desire, your will to live, can I just beg you to place your hope and trust in Christ who offers you this living hope. It's not based in your ability. It's not based on anybody else other than the fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb. The resurrection changes everything because it's a reminder that the end is really just the beginning. On that Saturday, those disciples had to have felt like, that's it, game over. Three years of our life just gone. What are we going to do now? They could have never imagined that in just 24 hours, the future would be drastically different. They couldn't imagine that the end was actually just the beginning because that's the hope that the resurrection of Jesus offers to us. Peter points out because he, he says that he describes how we have this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. It's being guarded by the power of God, that, that it's being reserved for you in heaven. And it, Peter is reminding us that everything else we experience in life fades, gets, gets defiled, kind of starts to break down. It's kind of like this. If you've ever gotten a new phone, man, there was a time, there was a couple of months where you like guarded that phone. You probably put it in like this indestructible case, or if you didn't, you just walked around, you're very careful with it. You cleaned it seven times a day. You're very careful on handling it to people. You're like, you got it. You sure you got it? Please don't drop my phone. And then after a couple months, the newness kind of wore off. You started throwing it into the bottom of your bag. You handed it to your toddler. They chunked it across the room. You're like, eh, oh, well, good throw, baby. That was really, really good. We're going to work on your form next time to clean it up. Because that phone is no longer new. You're not as worried about it. It's the same if you've ever bought a new car. You, like, parked in the back of the parking lot. You kept everybody away from it. You washed it every other day. You waxed it on the off days in between. I mean, it, it was so beautiful, and you kept it pristine until it wasn't that new anymore and then you had to take it to the mechanic and then you're really upset at the car and then you're hoping that somebody would run into it without anybody getting hurt and total it so you could replace it because you no longer want to have that car you're contemplating how can I trade it in or get somebody else to buy this thing because I no longer want it. it it's just this reminder that everything that we have we will one day give away sell or throw away everything that you have You'll one day give it away, sell it, or throw it away. Or to be left to somebody, and they'll give it away, sell it, or throw it away. I went to go yesterday take a tree I had cut down. Sorry for those who don't believe trees should ever be cut down, but I did. I cut it down, and it was glorious, and I had to get rid of it. And so I took it to the landfill, and I'm driving out to the landfill in Magnolia Springs, and there's this massive mound of dirt. And you know what's in the dirt? all of our garbage, everything that we own, one day go to that landfill. It'll make its way into a pile of dirt. You know, just a few moments ago, we took that bread and we took that cup, and in those emblems, we shared together in a meal. We metaphorically gathered around a table, 
and we remembered the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what we were doing in that moment is we were reminding ourselves of this future banquet, this future meal of one day we're going to be in the presence of God and we're going to we're going to gather around this massive table and we're going to break bread with God and with one another. And it's a reminder that, that it will be better, that things will be made right. Because if you ever felt like, man, it should be better than this. Life has got to be more than this. If you've ever felt the pains of injustice or loss or grief, if you've ever felt like, man, things should be better than this. You feel it. I feel it. We know this is not as good as it gets. One day it will get better because there is coming a day when Jesus will return and he will make everything right. He will remove all pain, all injustice, all sorrow. The book of Revelation describes this existence where there's no more tears, there's no more death, there's no more night. It's all in the presence of God. We no longer have to worry about political parties and elections. We don't have to worry about fighting and wars and division. We don't have to worry about breakdowns in relationships. We don't have to worry about people who do evil and harmful things to others. There is coming a day when everything will be made right. And when we ate that bread and we drank that cup just a minute ago, we reminded ourselves of that reality that what we are experiencing here today is just a little bit of a glimpse of eternity. It's a reminder that the end is really just the beginning. And at some point, every one of us, unless Jesus returns, will find ourselves breathing our last. Our life will come to an end. There will be an end date on our tombstone. But really, because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's a reminder that that date, what we call an end date, is actually a beginning it's a beginning of a new existence in the presence of God. What makes the visions of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, so beautiful of John describing heaven coming down and being beautifully adorned as a bride, adorned for her husband in this place where there is no night. What makes it so beautiful is the fact that God is there. So is Jesus. And there's this beautiful promise that we will be with him he will be our God and we will be his people. This is the reality of the resurrection. It changes everything for us. And it reminds us that the end is really just the beginning. I read this quote this morning, actually. It said, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. It's so true. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. But my question for you this morning is, has it changed you? What will you do with the fact that the tomb was empty? What will you do with all of these accounts that tell us Jesus was raised from the dead? What will you do with the testimony and the evidence of people who were willing to give their lives for this claim, this truth that Jesus is alive. Peter said, or excuse me, Paul said, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Make no mistake, folks. One day, regardless of how you feel about Jesus, you will make that confession. The beauty of the invitation is you can surrender your life to Christ today and experience the living hope that only Jesus can offer you. If there's anything we can do for you, if we can pray for you, encourage you in any way, if you want to give your life to Christ today and be baptized into Jesus, we'd love to assist you. In whatever way that we can, let us know as we stand and sing this song.